This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hello and welcome to Riffs on Riffs, where we explore the collision of original and sample tracks and the artists who made them. I'm your host, Joe Watson, and I'm here with my co-host, Toby Braswell. What's up, Toby? Not much, man. How are you? I'm good. It's another beautiful day in Cleveland. Together on this podcast, we'll listen to legendary tracks and the timeless but sometimes not so well-known songs that they sampled from. So, my friend, what song are we going to be exploring today? This is Edge of Seventeen. It's one of the most memorable songs by rock goddess that we all know and love, Stevie Nicks. And we're going to get into the chart-topping hit, some of the influences behind the lyrics, the composition, and a lot more. But before we even get started with all that, Joe... Please tell me where Stevie got this beat from. Well, this riff is definitely a fan favorite, so let's rewind a bit to dig into the original sound of Edge of 17. Rewind! You this intro, I love this intro. Y- you gotta move with this. Right? You gotta do like a little booty shake. You I feel do. like you're just kind of you like... Even in, even in your chair, you're still shaking. I'm doing shaking. it. I'm doing yeah. it right now. Well, I'm not even looking. I'm not looking, but I believe you. You have a voice that sounds like you're committed to that. <laughs> Speaking of voices, this is an iconic voice that is instantaneously recognizable. Yes, sir. This is clearly Sting singing with a little band called The Police. You may have heard of them. So the name of this song is Bring on the Night and done by The Police. 1979, right? 79, off the band's second studio album called Regatta de Blanc. And I bet if you break that down, right, you could take it back to its Latin roots. That's uh, white reggae, right? Right. How did you know? (laughs) It's actually, yes, pseudo-French, because I guess it's not real French. It's just pseudo-French for white reggae. And right here, we can hear that reggae influence right now. Well, they made it famous. Uh, they they made white reggae, I guess, famous. I didn't even know it was. It's a thing. Yeah, I didn't even know it like, was it's, a thing. It's this whole thing, and but it makes sense. Yeah, I didn't either. This is the beauty of Wikipedia. <laughs> so true. Jimmy, when you ask me for my money, this is why I give it to you. So let's talk a little bit about the police. Uh, obviously, one of the all-time greats in rock and roll. Six Grammy Awards, two Brit Awards, 2003 inductees into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Four out of their five albums appeared in Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest albums of all time, which is sad to me a little bit that they only made five studio albums. They should have made a lot more. And they've been included in lots of greatest lists of greatest artists of all time. Like, everybody knows who the police are. So as we talked previously, this album came out in 79, and it translates loosely into white reggae. Probably more familiar with a couple of other tunes on the album, Message in a Bottle, Walking on the Moon, both went on to chart much higher. And this is a little bit lesser known, but... Let's dig back into that kind of reggae influence and take a listen to that. Let's do it. You know, one thing that I got to say about this group is uh, 
from the initial riff that they had, right, uh, until that transition they make into the uh, into, into reggae or whatnot, it shows the creativity. Oh, yeah. It shows a lot of creativity because it's unexpected. I would say that this, you know, especially with the notes change, it's not uh, it's not static. You know, it, it, it moves, right? And, you, and you're moving with it if you're following the music. So I love this song. Um, actually, the first time that I heard it was on Sting's solo stuff when he did a live version of it. Um, actually, the album is called Bring on the Night. And it's a much different version of it. It's a little harder driving. Instead of this power trio format, they've got, you know, full band and it's a different take. But let's take a listen to that. A little more straight ahead. I like kind of the, the addition of the piano, and it's more of a hooky chorus as opposed to what the reggae stuff that he's doing in, in the original. But let's talk a little bit about the, the background of this song, where it came from, and sort of the lyrical inspiration for it. Uh, when you first heard this song, if you didn't know what it was about, what would you, uh, what would you assume? I, I would think, you know, hey, I've had a tough day at work. Uh, I, I need, I want quitting time. Right. So that I can, it's like a country know, tune. You want to go home and get a beer one. and... Yep. Right. Yep, that's what I'm thinking. Bring on the night. Days over, night. bring on the, the night. And the beers. Yeah, no. And the good times. Right. There's no good times in this song. <laughs> um, it's actually very dark. So apparently Sting was in this band called Last Exit when he was first starting out. And when the police went into the studio to do Regatta de Blanc, they didn't have a ton of material. And so all the band members were, all, all three of them, were recycling material from previous gigs. And this was kind of one of the leftover songs that he had. And it was a song called, get this, Carrion Prince, O Ye of Little Hope. So, you know, we're already starting to get into where this is headed. It was taken from this Ted Hughes poem, King of Carrion, which is about a, another really happy guy in historical terms, Pontius Pilate. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's real happy. Yeah. Um, it's real. He has joyous life. Right. Yeah, that's a guy joyous that we all life. look back fondly and say, that, that dude that had made, a good gig. That man made the most of everything. <laughs> he made the most of every situation, didn't he? Or he washed his hands, whatever. <laughs> washed his hands, yeah. So, wow. here's another happy subject matter. So, after reading the Executioner's Song, which was this Pulitzer Prize-winning novel by Norman Mailer that depicts this guy named Gary Gilmore, um, who I think killed a couple people in the state of Utah. So, we keep getting happier as we go. And he advocated for himself to be put to death. He wanted the death penalty. And so, he, he went through this whole court thing. And uh, I think he eventually did end up getting shot by firing squad. So, yeah, he got his way. And so Sting says, and I quote, well, I sing it with him in mind. So now when you think of Bring on the Night, you can think of that as opposed to finishing up a day and going home and getting a beer. It's not a good thing. So there's another line from Bring on the Night that goes like this. When the evening spreads itself against the sky. And that line is taken from T.S. Eliot's poem, The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock. So in Lyrics by Sting, which is this little book on his songwriting, Sting says, What is it that Eliot said? Bad poets borrow, good poets steal. How ironic. So let me ask you something, Toby. Does this sound a little bit familiar to you at all, this Bring on the Night song? It would have reminded me of something, but I just couldn't think of it. It's on the, 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 the tip of my tongue, sure. the, the edge of my mind. Oh, I see what you're doing <laughs> oh, there. I know, I know. That's, oh. I'm going to be here all day. Don't worry about Whew. it. All day. <laughs> okay, so speaking of that little tease, let's uh, hear, hear a song that's vaguely similar. Let's do it. Just like the white wing dove sings a song, 
So this is the iconic track from Stevie Nicks off of her Belladonna album called Edge of 17. Um, there's a reason it sounds really familiar to the, the police song Bring on the Night is because those intros are pretty much exactly the same. That's the crazy part to me, that it is so close, right? I'm a whole lot more familiar with this song oh, sure. than I am with uh, the police song. I know about police, but I wasn't familiar with that song. As we discussed, it wasn't really a popular song. Uh, Bring on the Night really right. wasn't that popular. But uh, this song is super popular, right? So they're so similar, I decided let's take these two tracks and let's line them up together and see how they overlap. So if you've got headphones or some stereo speakers, on the left side is The Police, Bring on the Night, and on the right side is Edge of Seventeen by Stevie Nicks. So, Joe, tell me if I'm wrong or not. Are they starting on the same key? Same key, same chord progression. The only difference is uh, Edge of 17 starts on that E and then just kind of stays there for a little bit before going into the progression. But other than that, they're exactly the same, same tempo, same lining up of the kick drum. It's a little bit different picking pattern on, on the riff, which we'll talk a little bit about later. And the songs definitely go in very different directions, but Bring On The Night came out, I think, in 79, and Edge of 17 came out in 81, I believe. So... It certainly sounds like Stevie Nicks might have stolen from the police here. So this kind of reminds me of like uh, the stories you read about in in the paper where a guy robs a bank and he comes out and uh, and he gets caught. And you're like, man, how did he get caught? Like, that's that's crazy. Like, he he, he obviously planned this out where where he locked himself out of the car. Right. Right, I mean, this is like one of those stories like this was like blatant. Blatant robbery. Blatant, blatant stealing. And and let it be known that this is the one time in history that someone can steal from the police and get away with it. Oh, man. I mean, that's true. I mean, look at it. You literally stole. You are on today. I'm, I'm, I'm trying. I'm, I'm, drinking, I'm drinking good water. I'm just a little. I'm I a had little, a Pop-Tart this morning. A little starstruck right now. But seriously, she stole from. Well, she stole from the police. She stole from the police and got away with it. And it wasn't like they were hiding it either. Now, do you think what what allowed this to happen, why people, why more folks weren't uh, upset or up in arms about this is because they go in such different directions? We haven't talked about it this way, but the fact that, you know, Stevie really, you know, really embraced the rock aspect of it, you know, that song. It wasn't, it's not right white reggae, right? It's a, it definitely goes a different way. Right. You think that that kind of uh, allowed, not allowed it, but it kind of makes it all right? I guess for for that that stealing, so no. that taking. <laughs> no, I mean, we, uh, I mean, yes, we all as artists certainly take inspiration from stuff, and the fact that it does become a very different song, I think, is important. But I also think it's important to say, what what are you doing? Like, did you intentionally rip this song off? And what's interesting is the guitarist on this track is a guy named Wadi Wachtel, mm-hmm. and he's told very different stories about whether or not it was an intentional thing. And I, I think I've got a pretty good sense of which one I believe. But the one that he's sort of put out in the media a few times, which is crazy in my opinion. So I, this is a quote from him. Oh, I, I'd never heard Bring on the Night. And at that session, they told me they were going to do this song based on this feel. And, you know, I had heard something about the police, but I didn't know what they were talking about. Well, and then about two years ago, and this was a pretty recent quote, I had the radio on and, on, and on comes a song that sounds like Edge of 17. And all of a sudden, I'm like, that's Sting's voice. And I thought, oh my God, we ripped them off completely. And I called Stevie that night and I said, listen to me, don't ever do that again. Come on, man. That cannot be true. Well, well here's my thing, though. I, I, I totally, I mean, stealing is not right. We're, we're, all, we're taught that from, from uh, 
early vacation Bible school days, right? So if you're looking at it, no, seriously, that's what it's we're true. taught, right? Yeah. So, but if we're if we're trying to rank sin, right? If we're trying to rank it, yeah. Then I would say that what you know, since they went in totally different directions, what they did was more like purgatory, right? Instead of hell. Okay. That's what I'm thinking. Like, it, so they, they need to do a little penance, but then a you little know, penance, right? Couple the end results okay. A couple of hair mirrors, that'd be all right. Yeah, right? sure. <laughs> I'm thinking. So what's interesting is Wadi does come back around and sort of admit, I think, to the sin that you just described. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> there's a writer that asks him, um, says, you know, one of your most famous guitar statements is that staccato opening riff. And were you aware of the similarities between that song and Police's Bring on the Night? And he said, oh, I'd never heard it, blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> and another one, he says, yeah, no, we completely ripped him off. Uh, and he said, yeah, well, basically that's what we wanted to do. But, you know, let me say in my own defense that, that being a respectable thief anyway, if you listen to the police's song, Andy Summers performs it with some sort of echo unit. And when I heard that, I said, well, I'm not going to do it like that. I don't like that kind of crap. I'm just going to play this thing. So I just did it that way. And I still do it with this hand as opposed to falsifying it with an echo machine. So it's all the, you know, the digga, digga, digga and the chords and, and everything totally starting to move differently. And that drum feels the same thing. Uh, yeah, it's the exact same thing. Uh, and it's that offbeat bass drum against the guitar. So not only does he go and they steal this song, right. but then he starts throwing shade on Andy Summers saying, oh, well, I can do it better. And I'm not going to do this fake echoey crap. And, you know, so that's where I start to get a little iffy about the whole thing. So, you know, obviously I've looked at the videos for each for each of these tracks, right? And I will say this, and we already heard the uh, the real version of the uh, Bring on the Night. And I will say this, man, that riff is not really an important aspect of the live version of that song. True. Whereas if you listen to uh, Stevie's song, I mean, that guitar player, he plays that. I mean, they have an extended riff. Like he said, oh, I can play this. <laughs> oh, I can really play. It's a good right hand exercise. You can say onomatopoeia like 26 times as long as he's playing that song. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's a long time he's playing it. Um, so, I mean, he he definitely has the chops uh, for it. But again, I you know... Stealing, borrowing, whatever you want to say, uh, you took it, just admit it. I don't agree with the shade they've thrown on it, but right. I mean, you know how competitive cats are, and I'm sure he's gotten questioned on this a number of times. Sure. Everyone's trying to be original. Yep. Everyone's trying to be original, but if you look at it- But if it, you're not, then just- Just admit it. Throw man. some credit back to somebody and say, yeah, this was a great inspiration. There's no shame in that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So not only is the music eerily similar, but there's even some sort of lyrical cross-pollination going on. The line in Bring on the Night is, afternoon has gently passed me by. Mm-hmm. And in Edge of Seventeen, it's, and the days go by. And they, those kind of line up together as well. So let's take a listen to a little more extended version of these two tracks lined up against each other, kind of overlaid. And we had talked about how they go in very different directions. And you'll start to see them really fight against each other as we listen through. But um, it is interesting how even lyrically they start to start to blend a little bit. So, Tob, we already talked earlier about Bring on the Night being kind of a dark and scary song. Um, Edge of Seventeen, 
Let's talk about that for a second. What does that what does it kind of bring to your mind? Just that the title itself, Edge of Seventeen. Well, you know, sixteen I think is one of those ages. There's a couple of key ages as you're growing up, right? Uh, sixteen I think is important because you get to drive. Uh, Eighteen. Uh, is important because you get to drink in Canada. Uh, <laughs> Are you Canadian and I didn't know it? Hey, I was for that weekend. Okay, so, <laughs> fair enough. I was for that weekend. trip to Windsor. Yeah, so it's Edge of 17, I think, is, uh, I, at least in my mind, I'm seeing that, right? You know, yeah, I've seen right the, on the, the relevance, right? Ready to take on the world. Exactly, exactly. Well, it turns out that we got, we kind of got fooled on this one too. Really? This is not a happy song. <laughs> so the, well, actually, the, orig- the origin of the title itself. So what's interesting is Stevie was chatting with her buddy, Tom Petty, uh, mm-hmm. and his wife, Jane, one day. And she had asked Jane, well, when did, you know, when did, how'd you and Tom meet? Give me that story, whatever. And, and Jane had said, we had met at the age of 17. And S- Stevie misheard that and thought that she had said edge of 17 and kind of stored that in the back of her head and said, oh, that's... That's cool. Like just as a thematic concept, something to write a song about this idea of Edge of 17. So right then I could see kind of what you just said, like, oh, this is happy. We're, we're again, we're on the cusp and let's take on the world. But then there were some events that happened in Stevie Nicks's life that sort of took her down a different path when she was going with that song. Yeah. Then uh, her, I want to say her Uncle Bill passed and also you had uh, John Lennon. Died yeah. a very, very same, if not the same day, and very, very close. Same week, I think. Same week, right? So both those, I, you know, really affected her and really uh, prompted her to write this song. Now, I will say this: songs move people. Obviously, it's not just the music; it's the lyrics, right? I, I feel if we're just listening to well, just the notes, I think you're only getting a, a portion of it. You want to hear the lyrics and find out what it's about. Absolutely, but. Um, Without doing some research and finding out about interviews as far as like, uh, what, what these songs were about, I mean, I needed the Rosetta Stone and like a Cracker Jack Dakota ring to kind of figure out like what it was. But she, her, her writing is really uh, poetical, right? It's very, yeah, it's very it's, lyrical. It's, yeah. it's, it's talking about this white winged dove and. Um, right. Right. I thought she was talking about magic for a second there. The, right. She's going to pull something out of a hat. <laughs> right. Plus, she's got that whole persona on stage. Yeah, which the is white the, flowing dress right. and the wind blowing vibe. her. It's like, ugh, what's going on? What's going on here? I'm confused. I mean, the song is still dope. The song is great. It's 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 a fantastic song, but lyrically wise, you know, so... Um, yeah, I mean, what's weird is she says this became a song about violent death. Right. Um, she said it was scary to her because no one in her family had died at that point. And then the white winged dove that she sings about was for John Lennon as sort of this dove of peace motif. And 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 apparently this is a still a very important song for her privately. One thing I could not find, though, is I've never heard Sting say a word about it. I've never heard any of the police say a word about it. You, could you find anything? No, I couldn't find anything at all. And I thought that, that was uh, I thought that was amazing. Uh, I thought it was very interesting, right, that, that the police wouldn't have any... They would have nothing, or at least Stink would have nothing to really to say. Had a kind of quote about this. I thought that that was, uh, and I, and I guess for me it was like, well, I, I guess maybe he's bigger than that. You know, maybe he wants to be bigger than that. But obviously he's heard about it. He had. There's no way. It's impossible for you not to know. W- would you be mad? Well, considering that, I, I guess. To me, I just kind of give myself a pat on the back like I did that. I would agree with that. If I was the police, I'd be like, "Uh, I'm the cause for that. I influenced that and kind of move on. I kind of agree with you. I do think that you got to throw some love to the people that inspire your stuff. Yeah, I, I agree. I think you should throw throw a little bit of love their way, you know, especially in light of comments by, here by Wadi. I thought that was really, that's, really, yeah. you know, that's kind of uh, bush agree, league. I agree with you in that the songs go completely different directions. They end up being two very different things. Mm-hmm. And what annoys me far more, since we're talking about the police, is 
when people take songs and then they do a worse remake of that song and pawn it off as their own. So in this case, I think of, you know, when Biggie died and Diddy came out with um, Every Breath You Take. Right. Took the name of the song, sampled the song, and put some bad banal rap lyrics over it. And says, oh, this is my song. This is my own. I own it. It's an, you know, not that he went around and said it was his original song, but he took a song, added really nothing to it, threw some new lyrics over it, and then it became a thing. And I was like, well, how is, am I, am I being a little too judgy here? You know, I, I will say this. At that time, I thought that it was, you know, I mean, I guess two ways you could look at it. Like Puff's out here really trying to make that money. Right. He's kind of cashing in on, on Always what the tragedy. And then the other part of me was like, man, he's really hurt and he really wants to kind of give. Yeah. And a, we all want to believe up. that. I, right. I hope that legitimately is what was going on. But I guess now when I'm kind of looking at it, man, what a web and how these people are all connected. If you look at it, the way that it's all connected, at least in my head. Right. We've got uh, Jimmy Iovine, who actually dated Stevie Nicks. And produced Edge of Seventeen. Right. And he also produced Tom Petty whose wife actually influenced the title of Edge of Seventeen. Right. And then Jimmy Iovine also knows Puffy. Puffy does a song with Sting from The Police. Also does many a song with Big, Biggie. Biggie also does a song with Jay-Z, who is married to Beyonce. Why would you bring up Beyonce right now? Ah, that's why you brought up Beyonce. <laughs> so this is Bootylicious by Destiny's Child. Clearly samples the not Bring on the Night, but Edge of Seventeen. Yeah, they, they changed the note a little bit, right? The note of the riff is... is, is yeah, they uh, drop down it down half a step to right. E-flat instead of the E. But the other interesting thing is that pretty much the only part of the song that they took. They just took that intro riff and it plays throughout Bootylicious. So it becomes more of a rhythm, percussive element in the song as opposed to something that dictates the melody and the chord progressions, which I think is interesting. You, you have a couple of notes here, but you actually broke it down musically. You mentioned that the first two songs, right, uh, the original song, Bring On The Night, and then we go to Edge of Seventeen, they were in the same key, correct? Yeah. Okay. So this one just moves down just a little half step, Okay. Uh, it, which on a, it kind of slows it a little bit. It's interesting listening back in the headphones, and I noticed this when I was putting these tracks together. You'd have to crank it, but if you listen to the that intro of, of Bootylicious, there's like this weird kind of... It's like kind of creepy. It's very faint that kind of comes in. But, and I think it's probably because of what they sampled from. And that's just an artifact that was left over. Sure. Um, it's cool. It's a little weird. And I didn't, you know, until I was like really critically listening to it, I didn't see it. But so I put together a little mashup. We called it Edge of Booty. And uh, it's just simply, it's just a quick illustration. Yeah, of, Joe, Joe that, that is the best thing you've said all day. Edge, <laughs> edge of Booty. Let, let's take a listen. So this is the original Edge of Seventeen track. And then we just drop it down. And back up. See how my voice raises? And back down. 
And that's it. It's just, that's really the, you know, and then the way they produce the tracks. Joe, I, I appreciate the, the work that you put in uh, to make that happen. Uh, very interesting. Like, so I don't know how familiar you are with sampling keyboards or sampling programs. But to me, to me, that's like if we had the main sample on middle C. Yeah. And we actually dropped it down yep. one note. That's kind of what you would, that's kind of like the feeling that I'm getting uh, with this. That's that's uh, that's crazy. And sometimes you do that for exactly the reason that you mentioned, right? To slow it down a little bit, maybe put it in the vocal range yeah. of the artist that you're working with. And then the other weird, not weird, but interesting thing is they took that little snippet and that thing plays without changing underneath the entire song. Mm -hmm. And so it, it becomes more of a rhythm element. It's less of a melodic thing. I mean, it kicks off the song and it kind of sets the key and all of that, but it really becomes almost a percussion instrument throughout the rest of the song because it's not doing any melody functions. Well, I think what's really interesting is the video. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Well, there's that. You know, if I were the police, if I would get upset with Stevie's camp taking it from me, this is where I would get upset, right? If I'm staying, I'm sitting in a room and, and I'm like, you know, it's 20 years later or whatever and, and Bootylicious comes out and I'm watching the video and I'm like, is Stevie in the video? Stevie's in the video. She's in there. Y'all took the riff. You put the person who took it from me in the video. I like Beyonce, right? I, if I'm staying, I'm like, I like Beyonce. Y'all could have called me. Right. I'd be upset about that. If Sting gets any royalty, maybe Sting gets so much money from being ripped off that he just <laughs> cashes the check and doesn't make a peep. Good. Maybe he's got his own Sting operation going on. Oh boy. Oh boy. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Woo. That was good. That was good, partner. That was good, partner. All right. So the other interesting thing is that this is one of the few Destiny's Child songs where Kelly Rowland sings the bulk of the song, right? Are you a, are you a bigger Kelly than a Beyonce fan? Man. You, you know what? I, I think it's exposure because I see a whole lot more of Beyonce sure. than I do of Kelly. But man, when Kelly had her album that came out, good God. The remix of that song that she had with Lil Wayne, stop it. <laughs> stop. We can put that video on rewind. <laughs> Replay. Why is that, Toby? Um... She has certain, uh, what should we say, assets. Yeah. You know, as far as you know, her musical talents, certain assets that I that I uh, that that I like. Did your voice just crack? Yeah, thinking about Kelly it a little did, bit. It did. I, I'm looking out the window right now. I'm just, you know. Come back to me, buddy. Come back. Yeah, I'm, I almost got a tear come from my. I haven't seen her. I haven't seen Kelly in a long time. But uh, Kelly's Beyonce is is awesome. But uh, Kelly's special. Sure. Yeah. So, and then the other interesting thing I think about this is, you know, Beyonce, part of part of the of controlling the empire, right? Is she's trademarked the term "bootylicious," even though she didn't even come up with it. Up with the name, the, the, the term "bootylicious," which, I mean, think about. I just like the idea of list hearing in my head right now. I'm hearing Snoop say "bootylicious" in that Snoop Dogg <laughs> way, and it makes me happy. But you know what? There, to me, what is so cool is that Snoop saying "bootylicious" and her saying "bootylicious" is. Is obviously different. I you don't like, think Snoop's bootylicious? Come on, man. <laughs> obviously, hush. <laughs> but what I, what I will say is this. I do like it, especially in today's climate, uh, a woman taking control of that word. Oh, absolutely. I do think, I do think that that is awesome. Uh, you know, she's trademarked it. It's her word. It's it's their word. I do like that. It's kind of like taking power, you know, taking power where you can. Uh, but I do like Snoop's version. Right. <laughs> I'm going to say that, but, uh, you know... Yeah. So let's circle back around to some of the interesting musical underpinnings of these different tracks. And always when you talk about kind of the backbone of music, you're talking about the drum sounds and the percussive elements that are going on. And what's interesting is I think that even though Bring on the Night and Edge of Seventeen came out with roughly with, I think, a year or two of each other, um, they're very 
good examples to me of what was going on with the difference in drum tracking back in the late 70s, early 80s. So let's talk about a little bit about that 70s drum sound. You really had two different things going on. You had that big, heavy rock sound, right? And to me, the biggest example of that is when John Bonham from Led Zeppelin took um, his kit and mic'd it through a castle somewhere up a chimney or something. You've got big, booming reverb. And that was kind of that rock sound. And on the other end of the spectrum, you had this heavily compressed, um, just flat-sounding, you know, very, again, very thin and flat-sounding um, tone that you had on kind of the adult contemporary 70s stuff going on. Mm-hmm. So I put mm-hmm. together a little sort of evolution of that big, heavy sound all the way to the real kind of smaller squish sound. Let's take a listen to that. So here's Bonham when the levee breaks. I mean, it's huge. Get a little bit cleaner, a little less verb, and take right. the money and run. Steve Miller Band. How sweet it is to be loved. Uh, we have James Taylor, right? I love this man. See, I see you dancing. I love this but man. But those drums are, they're very thin. Um, right. And that was kind of that sound, and, and that's what we have going on with the, well, we can't talk about this stuff in 70s contemporary music without talking about Kenny Loggins, right? Mm. Please believe it. So please believe it. Let's uh, let's play a little Kenny, and uh, I think you might recognize the guest that he has singing on this track with him. It's not Kelly, is it? It's not Kelly. Okay. I see myself within your eyes, and that's all I need to Stevie. That is Stevie. Those voices blend real well, don't they? Yes, they do. This is a song called "Whenever I Call You Friend." With Stevie Nicks and Kenny Loggins, and I love how that transition goes, right? So you got the real heavy bass, but again, you've got that drum sound, which is very dialed back in the mix. It's very flat. Do you, it's interesting how things go in phases, sure. right? Uh, but you'll find that in hip-hop, too. Certain snares are used, and then they're not used for a while, and it depends on... And like, if I hear a... Just a snare sound, I can automatically think of a couple of songs that kind of fit that. And I think if you just play the song, I can kind of tell you, I'm sure you can too, like what decade oh, absolutely. it actually was, uh, that was made. Like, oh yeah, that's 80s, right. for sure. Or that's 90s, you know, you could tell like, you know, electronically speaking, you know that that right. is blah, blah, blah. Well, let's listen to Bring on the Night, the really heavy kick drum, and then Edge of 17. Like, we're lined up right next to each other. It's a quick listen. This is Bring on the Night. You feel that kick drum in your chest. And then you're like, ding, ding, ding. And what's interesting is when you get into the, you know, the 90s with Bootylicious, that electronic drums kind of goes back to that 70s adult contemporary song. Well, even though they're electronic drums, mm-hmm. they're very flat. Um, they're very compressed, and it's a, it's a very unique sound. Let's take a quick listen to that one. So you bring up the sound of decades, right? And it's interesting how these things kind of come in waves. Bruno Mars right now is taking this mm-hmm. 90s sound and he's bringing it back and probably going back and finding, you know, all that vintage equipment and reusing it. Um, you know, I feel like... Uh, so I'm going to ask you a question, Toby. Hit me. What was your hair like back in the 80s? <laughs> oh, uh, 
my dad did not believe in taking us to the barbershop at all. So uh, my dad basically had the premise of, like, in- unless you have a W-2, right. uh, I'll be cutting I'm you. taking the clippers. That's a good line. Uh, so he cut our hair. So it was, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. It was tough days, boy. It was some tough days. And then when, when you got into in the 90s, was it a little different? Uh, 90s. So we had flat top, a little baby flat top, sure. a little part. Uh, 93, though, drastically different. We're talking dreads. Good for you. Yeah, good good for me. Good for me. I had them for the next 17 years, too. So mm-hmm. this is the, that's what music is. It's like oh, hair. Yeah. Every decade has a sound. Sure. Yeah. So we like to top off the show with some bonus material. And whether it's about the lyrics and mechanics of the songs we've been talking about, we here at Riffs on Riffs like to indulge in everything music. So today, we're going to talk about Mondegreens. Mondegreens. Basically defined as what? It's defined as a misheard lyric. And I guess the history goes back to an American writer by the name of Sylvia Wright. Uh, She coined the term back in 1954, writing about how, as a girl, she had misheard the lyric and laid him on the green, uh, which uh, in a Scottish ballad as and Lady Mondegreen. Oh, good old Lady Mondegreen. Right. I remember her. I (laughs) I think she's my fifth grade teacher. Is that right? (laughs) Is that right? Miss Mondegreen. Miss Mondegreen. What subject did she teach? All of them? All of them. She taught all this. Yeah, okay. We got a Miss Robinson situation going on over here. Okay. Um, So Edge of Seventeen has a very famous Mondegreen, and I didn't even realize it until I would say the last couple of months. Somebody pointed out to me, and then I felt real dumb, but... That lyric, just like a white-winged dove, which makes more sense, what I always thought it was, was just like a one-winged dove, like one wing. And I always felt really bad for this bird, and I didn't understand what happened to this bird and why it was flying around. Could it fly around with one wing? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that that is sad. You know, why are we singing about a one-winged dove? It it makes a lot more sense that it would be a white-winged dove. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. This really reminds me of uh, a couple of things. Betty and the Jets. What? I'm sorry, what? Betty and the Jets. I don't think I understand the... Elton John song, Betty and the Jets. Benny! Benny and the Jets. Benny and the Jets. I used to do that uh, singing as loud as I possibly could uh, down the street, singing that song, and and get all sorts of weird looks. So uh, the bad one for me, and this was, was again, sadly, only a recent discovery, but when I was a kid, there was a song by... uh, Murray Head, which I think it was the only song he ever made, called One Night in Bangkok. And I couldn't have, I mean, I must have been if barely double digits in age, right? And so (laughs) the vibe on that song kind of has this sort of mysterious Bangkok sin. We talked about sin and purgatory. And so that's what I thought was going on in the tune, right? That's that's what I took from it. Sure. And there's a line where he says, you know, "The, the queens we use would not excite you. And as a kid, I thought, "Wow, he's that's a he's talking that's about that. breasts." <laughs> She's talking. He's talking about the queen's Wii U's, and I'm like, "I've never heard Wii U as like a euphemism, but but you know, okay, I guess you got to say something on the radio." And so, I don't. I have no idea how the topic came up, but I was I was chatting uh, with my brother one day. I am really. And, I am, and I am. we're talking about the song, and I was like, "Yeah, I always liked that song because the, you know, as a kid, it was very because of the right." Wii and he was he was like he was like what. I was like, yeah, the Queens we use. And he lost it, like much like you are. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, do you know what that song is about? And I'm like, no. And he's like, it's about chess. 
It's about Bobby Fischer oh, and playing wow. chess. And wow. he's talking about a chessboard and literally the queens that we use to play chess. <laughs> We're not talking about queens' body parts. Oh, wow. So I was mortified mm. and disappointed, actually. Right, right, that, right. But See, it's important to make those kind of discoveries in front of family. Right, <laughs> right. Because right. that's only going to come up at, like, Thanksgiving. Right. Like, hey, before I pass you this cranberry <laughs> sauce, let me tell you about what Joe said about we use. Let, let's talk about this. Has anybody Can seen the Queen's we use lately? <laughs> Anyone? Yeah. Wow. Okay, that's it for the show. Thank you so much for listening to Riffs on Riffs. Uh, we're going to take you out with a more recent example of uh, a sample used from uh, Bring on the Night, uh, done by The Weeknd. The song is called Adaptation. Now, this song is a little creepier than the other two that uh, we've been listening to, but uh, I think it's interesting. I think it's an interesting use. It kind of, of fits the in with the uh, the darkness that we had in the in Edge of Seventeen and Bring on the Night, right? Same kind of thing. Absolutely. So, really enjoyed having the music discussion about our favorite artists, including The Police, Bring on the Night, Stevie Nicks' iconic Edge of Seventeen, and Destiny Child pop track Bootylicious. Um, I'm hoping you guys will stick around for the next episode. Uh, we got a good one coming up. What are we talking about? Uh, we got to talk about one of the most iconic rap groups in history and how their song, one song in particular, is actually uh, linked to a cartoon hero. Huh. Well, I'm going to tune in for that, so I'm sure it will be a great show. Please don't miss it. That's it for us. Thank you. Peace. See how far a man can go Riffs on Riffs is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thanks to executive producers, Joan Andrews and Michael D'Aloya. Producer, Julie Fink. Audio engineers, Eric Coltnow and Dave Shaw. And audio director, Michael Seifert. You can listen to more episodes of Riffs on Riffs by finding us on iTunes, Stitcher, or visit evergreenpodcast.com. And don't forget, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us an iTunes review. It really helps. I'm your host, Joe Watson. And I'm your co-host, Toby Braswell. Thank you for listening to Riffs on Rips. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.